Here we go. And just adjust it because my voice goes up and down. Let's do it one more time. Normally, before I preach, some of you have not been here, I like to see if you're happy already. Because by the time I'm done, you may not be happy. So I want you to begin on a good note. I want you to be in a good space in your mind as we're going to study our Bibles. Are you guys ready to study? Praise the Lord. Let's bow our heads for prayer because I need special help. Our Father in heaven, it is a wonderful privilege to be able to call you our Father. And Lord, it is afternoon, and you have seen this moment in time before we came to it, and you know the needs of our hearts. So we ask, Father, for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the only effectual teacher of truth. And we ask for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So if you've been with us over time, we have been opening our Bibles. We've been looking at the scripture to see what the Bible has to say on every single solitary topic. There's not one topic that the Bible does not touch. There's not one area that we can hold privately to ourselves. We have a God that is interested in every particular. So this afternoon, we're talking about the economic Armageddon, a test of faith, who or what do you love? Now, we've looked at this passage. I want to go with me, go with me very quickly to the book of Luke, Luke 21. And we've looked at the signs of the times, and one of the particular signs that folks have passed over in the past has to do with the economy. In Luke chapter 21, and we're looking again at verse number 25, notice what the Bible says. Luke 21 and 25. The Bible says, and there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth, notice what it says, and upon the earth, distress of, what's it say? Nations. Nations. Now let me ask you a question. You guys are observant. You've been good students thus far. Tell me, is the, are the nations of the earth happy and glad, or are they in distress today? So we already see clearly that the Bible is true. Amen. But there's another point here that I want you to pay attention to. It says, upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. Now, what we did was, uh, as we gone the other night, I showed you what that word meant. Distress of nations with perplexity. And because I can't read Greek very well, or, or you can't either, I just put it on the screen. And that word perplexity indicates that there is a difficulty or an impossibility. In other words, the nations of this world have come to a place where they seek to solve a problem, but they have no ability to solve it. They'll meet and have global meetings, G8, G20, 
United Nations trying to solve the problems of this world, but my brothers and sisters, I tell you the truth, they have no answer for the problems that are present today. Now, so for some, this would be a perplexing issue. I want to show you something else, and I want to take you back nearly, I say, 10 years ago. And 10 years ago, 11 years ago, we had a financial crisis. There was an issue. And hopefully my sound is going to work today. And I want you to hear what this man says. His name is Ram Emanuel, and I want you to hear what he says. Not going to work. No? All right. So what he says, you can't hear it. He says, and I'll quote, we never let a good crisis go to waste. Are you listening? 2008, this great financial issue comes, and he sits on this stage, and he says, never let a good crisis go to waste. In other words, there was an intent because we don't have sound, I'm just going to pass the next one. This is Hillary Clinton. Everybody knows who Hillary is. And Hillary refers back to Rahm Emanuel, and she's referring to the economic crisis, and she says, we should not let this crisis go to waste. I wonder what she's thinking about. I wonder what he's thinking about when they're talking about not letting the crisis go to waste. I wonder what their intent is. I'm going to share with you this morning exactly what it is. Don't, you know I do my research, amen? I'm not going to get up here and just say something. I'm going to show you exactly what they meant. Notice this. This is in 2009. It says Russia continues its push for a, what's it say? A world currency. This is one year after the crisis has pushed itself to the fore. Notice the next one. Medvedev sees single currency dream in G8 coin gift. These men have an agenda. Never let a good crisis Go to waste. U.S. quite open to, what's it say, my friends? A world currency. Interesting. You would have to shift the comfortability of the nations in order to introduce a new system of control. But let's go a little bit further. Barack Obama's New World Order. Notice the year. April 3rd, what's it say? 2009, again, I wonder, whenever I see repetition like this, especially in a single span of time, I pay attention. All these statements I'm sharing with you are all from 2009, all after the push and the crisis of 2008. Bernanke says, global economy emerging from recession. What year is that? Does it have it up there? August 21st, that's 2009. Let's go a little further. Notice this. We need a new world health order. Well, that's interesting. All these are in 2009. American Thinker, August 28, 2009. What does it say? Hugo Chavez declares, what does he declare? A new world order. Never let a good crisis go to waste. There is an agenda, my friends. Let's go a little further. Now, this man, I wanted to spend more time with him. This is Henry Kissinger. He's been manipulating social and religio-political systems for decades. 
One time, I, I, I want to get to quote, you don't have to believe this, but there's a quote where he literally thanks the newspapers for keeping everything hush as they organized and manipulated the society. Henry Kissinger, look him up. You can do it in your own time. He says, as the new U.S. administration prepares to take office amid grave financial and international crisis, it may seem counterintuitive to argue that the very unsettled nature of the international system generates a unique opportunity for creative, what's it say? Diplomacy. Never let a good crisis go to waste. You see, the people of this world have a plan. Same, another world leader, Gordon Brown at the time, announces New World Order. This is April 3rd, 2009. And it says, Brown does do God as he calls for a New World Order in a sermon. Nobody's paying attention. You paying attention? Notice. UN wants a new global currency to replace the dollar. All these statements are coming out 2009, right in the midst of a crisis, because you have to destabilize everyone's comfort zone to introduce something that you want implemented in society. But wait, there's more. Vatican calls for a global authority on economy Raps idolatry of the market. Well, that's interesting. Now we have a spiritual leader making comment on the economy. Now, this one's from 2009. Notice what it says. Pope calls for, what does he call for, my friends? A God-centered global economy. And my friends, I would agree with him. We do need God-centered global economy. It's just not what they're planning. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's not what they're planning. Now, I hope my, is the sound going to work? Do you, do you know if it's going to work? Let's try it out. Let's see. Nope. Not going to work. In this, in this video, some of you saw it the other night, the, the anchor is asking these bankers a question. And he says, do we work for the central banks? And they try to dance around the question. They dance around it for a little bit. And the guy comes back and says, no, no, no. Do we work for the central banks? Are we now under the rulership of the central banks? And on TV, this is not like a, a conspiracy theory. On television, the guy says, yes. Both men, both, both people in the video, both of them say, yes, we work for the central banks. We are now under the governance of the central banks. It works now? All right, let's try it. It starts trading off in the 10 to 15 to 20 percent area. The chairman's going to come in and throw some stimulus at it. So to answer your question, we are absolutely slaves to central banks. Because, and we'd love to be slaves to the economy, but the economic numbers continue to do nothing but trend lower. Mr. LeCamp, do we work for the uh, central we know, bankers? We know Mr. LeCamp, we do, do. we work? This is a free... We do. Uh, look, markets are driven by policy now. They're not driven by market forces. They're right. driven by uh, fiscal cliffs. They're driven by central bank proclamations. They're driven by false rumors coming out of the ECB. Fiat currency really that's continually watered investors. down. They continue to water our currency Absolutely. down so the markets go but up and we feel good about it. Yeah, and listen to what the Fed did this weekend. I think they really screwed up here. They said that we're going to do this Operation Twist through the end of the year. In other words, they're going to create uncertainty about what happens after Operation Twist right at the same time that the fiscal cliff kicks in. All right, we'll let him finish talking there. 
So he said, yes, we do work for the central banks. You guys heard that, right? I just want you to hear from your own eyes. It's not Andre coming up with something. Notice it says a year after financial crisis, a year after financial crisis, a new world order emerges. Notice the, the, the top paragraph. One year after the, new, the near collapse of the global financial system, this much is clear. What is clear? The financial world as we knew it is over. And something new is rising from its ashes. Now, my friends, I, I tell you, I, nothing happens by accident. These phrases are not accidental. You see that picture? It's a phoenix. And what's underneath the feet of the phoenix? What's underneath the feet? What's, currency is on fire. Is that right? Do you see that? And what's coming up out of it? A new financial currency out of a crisis, my friends. Out of the ashes has now arisen a new financial order. Now, before we're done with the meetings, I mean, we have several more sermons to go through. I, I, I'm going to lay some things here, and I'm going to leave them because you need to come back for the rest. But there's so much more that I can share in regards to this financial system, and I'm going to tell you that the system that they are setting up the system that they are organizing is going to control your everyday movements. In fact, the book of Revelation says that they're going to pass a law at some juncture, and you won't be able to buy or sell unless you have the mark, the name, or the number of the beast. And listen, my friends, I, and I get these little, I get these um, financial reports, just started receiving them from some of the high-ups in the global economy. And right now, they're making massive financial shifts because there's about to be another financial shakeup. Nobody heard me. There is an intent here, brothers and sisters. There is purpose in the movements of these world leaders. Now, I'm gonna sh now you, have, you have to pay attention to this. I want to let the whole thing play through. There's three clips that I want you to listen to. I will comment after each one, all right? But you, you have to. You, listen, wake up. If you're sleeping, wake up. You need to listen to what this man is going to say. Listen to the whole story. Watch this now, my friends. I'm going to have to make a very big apology to my noble friend, uh, the noble Lord Sassoon, because I'm about to raise a subject which I shouldn't raise, which is going to be one which I think is now time to put on a higher awareness and to explain to the House as a whole, as I don't think they have any knowledge. And I'm sorry the noble Lord Stroth Clyde is not with us at the moment, because this deeply concerns him also. But for the last 20 weeks, since yesterday afternoon, I have engaged in, been engaged in a very strange dialogue with the two noble lords, in the course of which I've been trying to bring to their attention the willing availability of a strange organization which wishes to make a great deal of money available to assist the recovery of the economy in this country. For want of a better description of their name, I'll call them Foundation X. It's not their real name, but it'll do for the moment. All right, so what is the name of the, the foundation that he's naming? Foundation X. And apparently Foundation X is willing to give a large sum of money to help the country of England. That's where he's at. He's in England. So there's this foundation called Foundation X. They are willing to give so much money to take care of all the problems that England was having. Watch this now. John. 
All right, let me just make sure I didn't skip one because they all look similar. All right, here we go. Here's the next one. Extra meatball Strathclyde. I have to say that as first dates go, it was not a great success. They neither of them ended up by inviting the other one up for a coffee or a, uh, a drink at the end of the, end, end of the evening, and they didn't uh, exchange telephone numbers in order to be able to follow up the call. In fact, I found myself in a, in a, between a rock and a hard place, represented by both a rock and a hard place, which were totally paranoid about each other, because the Foundation X people have got an amazing obsession with their own security. Uh, they are ex expecting only to be contacted by somebody equal to head of state status or somebody who has a, a national an international security rating equal to the top six people in the world. What did he say? So he ex these people expect that if they're having a meeting, they need to meet with somebody that's in the top six people in the world. Anybody know who the top six people in the world are? I don't. So this group of people... Is, has power enough to say, I don't talk to number seven, I don't talk to number eight, I don't talk to number nine, I talk to the top six. That's who we need to have a meeting with. And this meeting needs to be secure. Now, as he's talking, he's going to make a mistake in the next video. Now, when he makes a mistake, you're going to notice the reaction. Once he makes the mistake, I want you to hear the reaction of the people as he makes the mistake and makes mention of who Foundation X is. These people said at the meeting with him that they were still effectively on the gold standard from back in the 1920s and that their entire currency holdings throughout the world, which were very large, uh, were backed by bullion. And the noble Lord Strathclyde came back and said to me, he's had an analyst working on it and this has to be stuff and nonsense because he said they had come up with a figure for the amount of bullion that would be needed to cover their currency reserves as claimed which would be more than the entire value of bullion that had ever been mined in the history of the world. I'm sorry, but the noble Lord Strathclyde is wrong. His analysts are wrong, because what he had done was he had tapped into the sources which are available, and there is only one definitive source for the amount of bullion that has ever been taken from the Earth's crust, and that was a National Geographic magazine article 12 years ago. And whatever figure it was that they quoted, was then quoted again by six other sites on the internet, on Google. And so everybody's quoting one original source, and there is no other confirming authority. But if you tack into the Vatican accounts of the Vatican Bank, you come up with a claim of total, total bullion. Neville Lord is into his 15th minute. I wonder if he could draw his, his marks to a conclusion. The total value of the Vatican Bank reserves would claim to be more than the entire value of gold ever mined in the history of the world. Y'all see that? I, my brain was like, what? What just happened? They're talking, he's having a conversation, and then he slips out. He says the name of the power that has all the money and all the gold. Now, there's a rule. There's a rule. I, know, I want you to know the rule. Does anybody know the rule, the golden rule? That's right. The one who has the gold rules, my friends. That's the golden rule. Now, these men, these men, these six men in the early 1900s had a secret meeting. Now, in the United States of America at that time, there was a great concern in regards to central banks. 
They did not want central banks in the United States of America because they saw how those central banks ended up manipulating the finances of the governments and of the world, and they said, we don't want that. So these men say, you know what? We're going to meet secretly. And these men met on an island at this hotel, and it's called Jekyll Island. And when they met there, they met there in 1910 in Brunswick, Georgia. And when they met there, they sat, and, and these, these are some top, in fact, let me just give you some history in regards to who these men were. I put it here so that way I wouldn't have to memorize anything. Here it is. Let me go back. Maybe I missed it. All right, let me go back one time. So there's five objectives. The, first, the five objectives they came up with while they're in their meeting. First one, stop competition for banks. In other words, centralize all the power of the banks under one control. Obtain a franchise that create money out of nothing for the purpose of lending. Get control of the reserves of all banks so that the more reckless ones would not be exposed to currency drains and bank runs. Number four, get the taxpayer to pick up the losses. Number five, convince Congress that it was to protect the interests of the American people. Now, my friends, they named it the Federal Reserve, but there's nothing federal about the reserve. It is a private bank. It has, listen, can you imagine? It has never been audited ever. But it gets to say interest goes up, interest goes down. What does that do? That affects your market. That affects how much you pay for your food. That affects how much you pay for your gas. So these men in a private bank gets to manipulate up and down. In fact, there's a video. I didn't put it in this one, but there's a video that I have where it, they're in Congress after the crisis, and the senators and the congressmen are asking the central bank in their face, what happened to the money? And they're like, we don't know. We're talking about billions. What happened to the billions of dollars? We have no idea where the billions of dollars went. Tell me something. If you, if you give me money, right, I'm in control of it, and then you come ask me where's the billion dollars that we owe as tax, that, that the taxpayers paid to, you would put me in jail, wouldn't you? But there are some people, my friends, that are above the law of the land, but they're not above the law of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God is ultimately in control. But these men met secretly in, in 1910, by 1903, 1911, 1912, they had selected a man that would help them implement their system in the United States of America. In fact, uh, there's another place. When you come the night that I did with the French Revolution, I'm going to share with you the name of the president that they selected, who literally, before he died, he put up a quote himself. He said, there's a power working right now that if I mention it above my breath, they would, they would end up wiping us out, and I'm summarizing it. He dare not mention it. And this is the man they put in power in order to implement the central bank. In 1910, Lenin said, the surest way to overthrow and establish social order is to debauch its currency. Nine years later, John Maynard wrote, Lenin was certainly right. There is no more positive or subtler no surer means of overturning the existing basis of society than to debauch the currency. The process engages all the hidden forces of economic law on the side of destruction and does it in a manner that not one man in a million is able to diagnose. Brothers and sisters, that's diabolical. 
One, one, of, the, one of the big bankers said, I care not who your president is. <laughs> he said, I choose presidents. I want you to see this. This is a uh, currency uh, back in the day. You'll notice that it says Treasury of the United States, $10,000 in, what's it say? Gold coin. That's what it says. It's, and then at the bottom it says gold certificate. So literally, you could take that $10,000, go to the bank, and they would have to bring out a wagon of gold for you. There was an exchange directly connected with that dollar. But there's something else here. Notice this one. This is, again, $10,000, redeemable in gold on demand at the United States Treasury of gold on lawful money at any Federal Reserve Bank. So, again, $10,000 bill, go in, you literally get gold. Somebody have a dollar? You have a dollar? Look at your dollar. Pull your dollar out. We're about to do some examination. Some of you don't have dollars anymore. You have only you have credit cards now. It's worth nothing. Do you understand what they're doing to us? Watch this. Redeemable in gold on demand. This is a $500 bill. Some of us have never seen those. Redeemable on demand, gold on demand. Notice this one. This is a $1 bill. Notice what the $1 bill says at the bottom. One silver dollar payable to the bearer on demand. So you can go into a bank with that dollar bill, and they would have to give you a gold coin or silver coin directly correlated with what you presented them. Notice this one. The First National Bank of Hood River, Oregon, will pay to the bearer on demand $10. So that indicates that this dollar bill, this, this dollar bill is simply a note. This is all it is. It's just paper. There is no value intrinsically in this note. But we all go work for this. Y'all not hear what I'm saying? We'll get up. Listen. You want to get somebody motivated? Tell them. You going to go you have to get paid? Huh? Here's your dollar bill. Come to work now. Come on now. Woo woo woo. Come on. <laughs> Not worth anything. But wait. You'll see in a moment why I'm saying that. Let's go a little bit further. This is a $100 bill. Again, notice the bottom of it. We'll pay to the bearer on demand $100 on demand. Notice this. One dollar, notice, notice now, at the top it says a silver certificate. You see that? You see this down up here, it says a Federal Reserve note. Look at your dollar. What does your dollar say? Does your dollar say a silver certificate or does it say a Federal Reserve note? What does it say? All right, let's go a little bit further. At the bottom of the, the silver certificate it says one dollar in silver payable to the bearer on demand. Does yours say that? No, it just says one dollar. The certificate is legal tender for all debts, public and private. Now, let me explain something to you. I'm going to do it the best I can, but I'm going to use an illustration. Um, let's see, because you got to understand this. All right, Naja is my little girl. Come on, my sweetheart. This is my baby girl. So, Naja, this this is going to represent a dollar. Come stand right here, sweetheart. So, this is going to represent a literal uh, something of value. I'm, uh, Ola's going to be the bank. Ola, will you be the bank, please? Now, he's the bank. She's going to deposit her money into the bank. All right, if you do that, go ahead and deposit your money in the bank. Boom, that $1 is in the bank. Now, Ola registers in his computer $1, but really he registers $10. 
The bank can loan out up to 10 times the amount that is deposited in their coffers. Now, do they actually have $10? Yes or no? No, they don't. So, Ola has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Let me give you some more money. <laughs> Eight, nine, ten. Well, you have, we have one already. All right, you can sit down, Niasia. Come on. My brother, will you come up, Brother Don? Come up, Brother Don. Now, Brother Don is wanting to get a, a loan from the bank. So Brother Don comes, he says, you would like, you would like $2 of a loan. Can you just take $2 from him? Give him $2. Boom. He takes that $2 loan. He takes the money. That's not real money because it was created out of thin air. He takes that $2 and he goes to another bank. He takes his $2 from Citizens Bank and he goes to TD Bank. He puts that $2 in TD Bank. I'm, the, I'm TD Bank. Boom. Now, how much money can I loan off of his $2? I can now loan $20. Do you see it? And now somebody else wants a loan, and this keeps going and going, and this is multiplied and multiplied and multiplied where the basis of this money is not real. You can sit down. Thank you, brother. Thank you. He's the Federal Reserve. <laughs> Are you following the idea? What they call this, they call it Fiat money. They call it fiat money. Now, here's the deal. The Bible is so interesting because in James chapter 5, I want you to see what James 5 says. Because if something is going to happen, that's, it's going to awaken the eyes of the dear people in the world. And when they wake up to it, there's going to be a very negative response. James chapter 5, notice what the Bible says in verse number 1. James 5 verse 1, the Bible says... Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are, what's it say? Moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered. Now, first and foremost, you guys know anything about the element chart? Silver and gold don't canker. So, in other words, that which was impossible is now possible. That which you were depending upon is no longer dependable. Your gold and silver will canker. You can't trust it, my friends. Now, my, my question is, and you know, I put at the beginning, who is your God? I mean, who, who do you serve? I mean, who do you love? Some people say God. Some people say God. But who, who, what God is it? Is it the God of money, finance? The God of materialism. I mean, who, who, at the end of the day, believe it or not, as I was contemplating and just thinking about it, I was just processing and just asking God, because at the, when you, when, that which is done in the physical realm has a spiritual implication. That which is done in the, spirit, in the physical realm has a spiritual implication. So here's the thought. As I was processing it, and we're in, we're in debt like big time, right? This country, it will never be out of debt. The only way to solve the problem, if they did what the Bible says in the Jubilee, is forgive all debt. But there will be no way possible for debt to be solved in this generation or any other. So because they're not going to forgive debt, debt then becomes a symbol of sin. Y'all not hearing nothing I'm saying. 
So the whole system is based on violation, not paying back what you owe. That's why in the Bible, as a debtor, which to a certain degree, all of us, many of us in this room, some of you might be debt-free. Some of you have, probably have no debt in the world. You probably just got free, free. I don't think that's the majority. So in my mind, I'm processing. A man that's in debt that can't pay his bills is now a slave to the lender. Yes? Yeah. And the Bible says in Romans 6.16, Know you not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto so if you owe the man, and the man says you won't be able to buy or sell, what are you going to do? Huh? See, it's easy right now, right? Like, right now, you'd be like, I will stand for God. I will not yield my body to be uh, polluted. I will not accept the mark of the beast. We say it with our lips, brothers and sisters, but every day you make decisions that really tell whether or not you're going to stand for God. So I, in my mind, I'm looking at debt. I'm saying I'm equating the debt to sin, and the wages of sin is death. So I'm looking at that, and I'm saying, man, we have compounded and compounded and compounded and compounded this debt, and why are we in debt? What, 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 why are, you know the answer to that. Some of us are in debt because we got these nice, extremely nice clothes and nice cars, and we want to, you know, bling. We got a little swag that we want, some of us. Some of us wanted the quote-unquote American dream, so we were willing to sacrifice everything in order to get to that space of notoriety and respect amongst the brethren. Some of us, like myself, simply didn't have financial literacy and just messed up. <laughs> messed up. Hmm? But brothers and sisters, when we look at debt, it is a symbol and a, re a reflection of our spiritual condition. Amen. So we look at this money, and it's false money. It's not going to pay for anything. The confidence in the people that are in charge is definitely waning. And soon, according to James chapter 5, they're going to throw this money in the street. There's going to be an awakening to the reality. This is worth nothing. Now, what happens, what happens now with us? Because I'm speaking reality. Now, tangibly, I've moved from just a, uh, uh, dealing with money to our spiritual condition as well. And on both fronts, God has a solution. Amen? I'm going to teach you how to be debt-free in three minutes or less. Anybody want to know how to be debt-free in three minutes or less? Uh-huh. I know you do. I'm going to teach you how to be debt-free in three minutes or less. But before I get to that, I need you to look at this story. Go to, go to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. And if you pay attention to the story, you may get it And how to be debt-free in three minutes or less. In 2 Kings chapter 4, and notice what the Bible says in beginning at verse number 1. 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. And when you have it, just say amen. 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. The Bible says, And there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophet unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. 
And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. So when you owe money, they can literally come and take you into slavery. So watch what it says. And Elisha said unto her, what shall I do to thee for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? I love that. And she said, thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. I'm going to teach you how to be debt-free in three minutes or less. Then he said, go borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. So it says borrow not a few. What does that mean? Get a lot. All right. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons and shall pour out into all those vessels and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him, shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her sons, bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, there is not a vessel more, and the oil stayed. No, brothers and sisters, this story is not here for our entertainment. This is instructive. How many of you, don't raise your hand. I don't want you to tell yourself. Raise your hand in your heart. I'm going to ask you a question. Just raise your heart. Don't raise your hand. How many of you have a debt problem? Don't raise your hand. Just raise your heart. Now, if you say you don't have a debt problem, I say you, you, you're telling a lie because you have a sin problem, yes? Okay, everybody has a debt problem, whether it be financial or whether it be sin. With that debt problem, if you want to get out of debt, the first thing to do is go to the person who knows the Lord. Go to the prophet. To the law and to the testimonies, if they speak not according to this, there is no light in them. You go to the prophet, you read the, what the prophet says. What does the Bible say about money? What does it say about debt? Go to the prophet. That's what she did. Didn't she go to the prophet? We fear the Lord. We don't know what to do. The prophet says, this is what you do. I want you to go get some vessels. The question is, when you're in debt, are you willing to follow God's instruction? That's the question. When you are in debt, when you owe something and you can't get out of it, I mean, there's no way out of it. Do you look at your paycheck? You look at your reality? You say, Father, there's no way. He says, then you go to the Father. Father, what do you want me to do? The first thing he's going to ask you to do when you come, you know when you go into the sanctuary? You remember you go into the sanctuary? And when you walk into the sanctuary, there's an altar of sacrifice. There's a priest that's there, and there's a lamb. Now what you do, I'm going to use Niaja again. Niaja, you just come closer to your daddy for a second. Sit right here, sweetheart. Now what you do when you come, when that priest comes in, the thing that you're supposed to do when you have your debt, your sin, the Hebrew word indicates that you put your weight on the lamb. Y'all not hearing nothing I'm saying. The Hebrew word indicates that when you walk into the sanctuary and you have your debt, you have your sin, you put your weight on the lamb and you confess that you have done wrong. Come on now. And when you put your weight on the lamb, then that debt is no longer yours. Y'all not hearing nothing. I'm debt free. 
In that moment that I've put my weight and my trust on the Most High, now I am a steward. I no longer am the owner. Y'all not hear nothing. Did you hear what I said? Now, as a steward and as a manager, I do what the boss says. As a steward of these funds, I, I do what he says. It's his debt now. Is that right? It's not my debt. I don't own that anymore. I'm debt free. Now, under the guidance, under the guidance of the owner, now I will manage his funds the way he wants me to manage his funds. So now the woman had a pot. What do you have in your house? I have a pot, Lord. I have one job, Lord. The Lord says, that's fine. Here's, here's a couple other things I want you to do. And in all of it, in doing it, she herself didn't create the finances for that job. She's following instructions. She takes her one pot of oil, and she's pouring, and it just keeps going. Y'all not hearing nothing. She's pouring, and it just, just keeps coming, and it keeps coming. It's a supernatural intervention. She's using what she has in her hands. And I say, Father, thank you for this. Because naturally, it's impossible for us to get out of it. As it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. Our God will supply how many of our needs, my friends? All of our needs, according to whose riches? Come on now, how rich is he? Oh, no, I didn't get that. How rich is he? Is it an infinite? It's like, ooh. Can't even have words for it. He's super duper, ooper duper rich. So if there's an account that needs to be drawn from, we'll draw from his account. Amen. But we must follow his instruction. So here it is. You can be debt free. If you go to the prophet, you go to inspiration. Father, here's my life. Help me. Father, I've messed up. Don't, don't go in there. Don't, don't gloss it over. Like in detail. Father, I did this. I did this. I did this. You know, while you're doing it, though, you're going to start feeling depressed. Because you're going to start saying, man, I really messed up. Like, really messed up. And the good thing is, while you're acknowledging that reality, the love of the Father just comes. It just comes. So even in the reality of the brokenness and the nothingness that I am, He's there in that. It's not condemning you. He says, son, I know. I was there the whole time, man. I got you. I got you. There's no problem that he cannot solve. There's no pain that he does not feel. He's right there. I want to go a little, a little quickly here. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 16. And we need to bring this to a close. Matthew 16, I want to just lay out a couple more principles for you. Matthew 16 and verse 26. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the, what's it say? The whole world and lose his soul. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Some of us work, listen, 
and, and again, I just want to be honest with you and just be direct with you so you can understand. Some of us go to work and we put hours in and work with people that we don't like. And we give God five minutes of our day. Some of us only show up on the seventh day. Prayer meeting, completely optional. I'm just saying, like, we, you, you, with our lips we say we love God, with our actions we say we love mammon. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? You're high in the corporate ladder. You're making all the money that man can think he wants, and in that time that you're doing that, losing your soul, losing your family. My friends, there's a principle there. Seek ye first the what? kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you in Matthew chapter 6 in verse 24 it says no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other ye cannot serve God and what's it say can't do it. It's impossible. There's an affection. I, I, when I was younger, I, was, I think I was in third grade, I started spelling my name with a dollar sign before my name. Yeah, I had a dollar sign and be Andre. I, I, in my mind, I wanted to be rich. I didn't want to be broke. I wanted to have enough money. I wanted to do any, you know, and you know how they do with these, um, I wouldn't call get rich schemes, but you know how they have YouTube videos and the guy has his Lamborghini and he's like, yes, I made money doing X, Y, Z. I made money doing this, pulling to our carnal desire. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Go with me a little bit further. Psalms 24 verse 1. Let's move rapidly here. Psalms 24 and verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Well, if the earth is the Lord's and I'm connected with the Lord, how much do I own? I own the world. No, I'm, I'm connected with the most high. I own everything. <laughs> the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I want to go to another passage that you're familiar with, but I don't know if you've examined it closely. Go to Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. In Malachi chapter 3. Now, this is an interesting verse, and I know that it has been used to manipulate people to give money to the church. But at the same time, when used properly, it's a way for you to express your love and appreciation and your trust for God. So I want you to see in Malachi chapter 3, and I want to read in verse number 8. The Bible says, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have ye robbed thee? Then it says, in tithes, and what else, my friends? And offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. 
Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now, herewith saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out. What's it say, my friends? A blessing that ye shall not have. What's it say? Room enough to receive it. And then it says in verse 11, and I will rebuke the devourer. That's the debt collector. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruits before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, pause for a moment, and I want you to think about the ramifications of this promise. In the promise, it says that there's a blessing that he will pour out on you that you cannot receive. Now, I just think, have you received that blessing? Don't say yes. The blessing that he pours out that you can't receive, it's just so much. It's overabundance. The way it describes it is as if because the fruits in the field and the, your land and all that, that was a symbol of financial wealth. I want to say this, and I'm going to say it very calmly. As a people, we have not received this as God designed it to be received. And I say that because for, for, to a large degree, there are many successful uh, people all around the world that live for God, all, all over, all over. But how come we don't have the influence that we should have in the financial sectors? I mean, there are, there are powerful men. I've met them, powerful, good men that in those spots. But I'm saying as a people, where, are, where, where is, here's the question, where is the Adventist run ve vegetarian restaurant in Manchester. What about in Derry? What about Nashua? What about in Concord? What about in New Hampshire? I'm, I, I know, and I, again, I'm speaking to my fa to family here. I know that in this group of people, there are wonderful cooks. I know that in this group of people, there are wonderful business minds. I know that in this group of people, there are people that love people. What's, what's happening with us? See, what we're doing, what we're doing, we're taking what God gives us and we're giving it back to the people that don't believe in God. You see, we should have, there should be an orchard where there's abundance of fruits, vegetables, things that grow from the ground, all that stuff should be there, and every one of us should be going to that store run by our people. What that does then, the money goes into the God's people, and then God's people use that money to help preach the gospel. But what we're doing, Netflix, y'all not hearing nothing I just said. We're giving, we're, every month we're giving Netflix money so they can promote their ministry. I, I'm just being, I'm being honest. Can I be honest? You guys don't mind me being honest, right? 
I'm saying, I'm challenging us. I'm saying, let's take this to a different space, to a different level as a people with righteousness in before our minds. Let's take God's finances. Let's take his money and let's use it to advance his cause so the world can look and say, surely this is a wise and understanding people. You see, I'm going to skip, I'm going to skip, time is up, let me skip, I want to get here, I want to get here because I got to get here and we got to go home, because you got to come back tonight, Revelation, 4, 13, Revelation 3, I want to go here very quickly my friends, Revelation 3, I want you to look at verse number, number 14. Look at this. Revelation 3, verse 14. The Bible says, And unto the angel of the church of Laodicea. Now, Laodicea, that, that Greek word, Laodicea, means a people judge. It's not a bad thing to be Laodicea. That Laodicea is what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be a people judge, and God's judgment for us will be a good declaration at the end of the day. However, as he investigates and looks at our condition, he makes a clear analysis of our condition. What does he say? And unto the angels of the church of Laodicea, right? These things say of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art, what's it say, my friends? Lukewarm. So the condition is not a condition that God likes. Because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, now watch what they say. Because thou sayest, I am, what's it say? Rich and increased with what, my friends? Goods and have need of what, my friends? And knowest not that thou art, what's it say? Wretched and what? Miserable and what? Poor and what? Blind and what? Now tell me something, my friends. You just be honest. I, I, I think the children will get this point. If I'm standing up here naked and I don't know it, what would you call me? <laughs> you would call me crazy. Huh? If I stand up here naked and I'm blind and I don't know that I'm blind and I don't know that I'm miserable, you would call me, you need to, he needs to be locked up. You need to put him away. And here, de- here God describes the condition of a church that's under judgment. There's a lukewarm state. They have all what they perceive as the material things, but they really are crazy. That's a hard saying, don't you think? I, I wonder, I'm just asking you out loud. I want you to examine yourself. When you came in here today, did you think you were rich and increased with goods? Did you think you already had a relationship with Jesus and it was, all, it was okay? Everything's fine and dandy. Did you, did you think that when you came in? It's possible to be self-deceived, especially when you put nice clothes on. It's a true statement. But there's a solution, and I praise God for his solution. Amen? Let's move quickly. So there's a remedy. The remedy, he says in the next verse, so because thou art lukewarm, I will speak thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest I am rich and accused of good and need of nothing. Verse 18, here's the counsel. 
I counsel thee to buy of me, what's it say, my friends? Gold tried where, my friends? That thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with what, my friends? Eye salves, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Now, let's go very quickly. Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Let's do a little biblical mathematics here. Galatians chapter 5. Looking at verse number 6. Notice what it says. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by, what's it work by, my friends? So faith that worketh by love. First Thessalonians, go there very quickly. First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. And it's okay to turn the pages of the Bible, is that right? First Thessalonians chapter 1 in verse 3. It says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. So there's that idea of faith working by love. First Thessalonians 5 verse 8. What does it say? We're just going over to the next part. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of what? Faith and love. Notice, faith and love are together. 1 Timothy 1, verse 14. 1 Timothy 1, verse 14. I just want you to see the connection between the two words. It says... And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and, what's it say? Faith and love. 2 Timothy 1, verse 13. It says, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in who, my friends? Christ Jesus. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 9. Zechariah 13 and verse 9. Notice what the Bible says. Look at, look at what it says. It says, And I will bring the third part of, through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as, what's it say, my friends? So let me ask you, how many of you have ever been burnt? Anybody, anybody been burnt? Does it feel good? No? No, I, I didn't, it doesn't feel good. So here you have fire that is designed to refine. Refine what? Character. Now, if you were honest, if you're being honest with me, and I'm being honest with you, and my time is nearly done, we're being honest. This week, have you done anything that you shouldn't have done? Don't tell me, don't raise your hand, I see it in your face already. You see, that, that thing that you weren't supposed to do, heaven wants to make sure that he gets it out of you. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, the father has a, you know, when a potter or somebody's doing something, he wants to see his reflection in his work. That's what he's about right now. 
He wants to see the reflection in his word. So the mantra of the believer won't be, well, this is just the way I am. You see, if you operate that way, you're still in debt. The mantra of the believer will say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. Details. Don't be broad. I'm a sinner. Be details. I lied today. I cheated today. I, I ate wrong today. I watched the wrong thing today. Details. You know, it's, it's very interesting when you, want, when you are talking to a child and you're trying to get them to admit that they did something wrong, they will, like, it was super dodging. <laughs> you ever seen that before? They won't, it won't be, well, you know, it's real broad, it's real, or you ever seen a dog do something and you know the dog did it and you go look at the dog and the dog knows that you know but the dog looks away? <laughs> it's sometimes difficult to be honest with God in detail. But don't look away. You see that gold is your character. That's faith and love. That fire is God refining us. It's necessary. So faith that works by love, meaning that faith must go through trials and tribulation. Now, we don't have time to go through all these. So if you have a camera, just take a picture. All right? Just if you have a camera, just take a picture. Go home and study this. This is talking about the righteousness of Christ. But I do want to look at Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and then I need to bring this to a close. Zechariah 3, verses 1 through 5. Watch this. It says, He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is this not a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with, what kind of garments, my friends? Filthy garments. And stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. Please note, take away the filthy garments. There's a picture, and I think I have the picture up here. Let me see if I have it here. Yeah, I do. I have it here. Right. Maybe I didn't put it here because it was a bad picture. Anyway, there's a picture. Let me get out of that. And in that picture, there's a, a man that has a filthy garment on. And on that filthy garment, there's a, a, a picture of God taking a robe of righteousness and putting the robe of righteousness over the filthy garments. You see, that picture is a wrong picture. You remember, what the, you remember what the text said? So let's, let's read it one more time. It says, and he answered, verse 4, unto those that stood before him, saying, take away the what? So the idea is not to cover the filth. The idea is he wants to remove the filth, and then he wants to put the robe on. Are you following the idea? But sometimes in the midst of him removing it, we love it so much, we tell him, leave me alone. I, I like this one. I'm going to keep this debt. Now, mind you, God's cleaned up all this other part of your life, but you want to hold on to this one thing. I mean, he's done a hard work. He's, he's given his son. He's shed his blood. He says, give me this. And you're like, no, I got this one, this one. This is my little pet thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this to you. Let me read this to you. The righteousness of Christ is not 
cover, the righteousness of Christ will not cover one cherished sin. A man may be lawbreaker, a man may be a lawbreaker in his heart, yet if he commits no outward transgression, he may be regarded by the world as possessing great integrity. But God's law looks into the secrets of the what, my friends? Every act is judged by the motives that prompted. Only that which is in accord with the principles of God's law will stand in the judgment. That's a hard saying. But it's a, I love this saying. You know why? At least God's upfront about it. He's saying, look, don't, I, you can't hold on to this and say I'm going to make it in. What you need to do is hold on to me. That's how you're going to make it in. And as you hold on to him, there's something supernatural happens. Amen. There's, a, there's a, another quote I love. It says, as the student of the Bible beholds the Redeemer, there's awakened in the soul the mysterious power of faith, adoration, and love. Upon the vision of Christ, the gaze is fixed, and the beholder grows into the likeness of that which he adores. You see, the change doesn't come because you're efforting it. The change comes because you're beholding him who is without sin. That's how the change comes. Notice this. Oh, I don't have time to go into I South, but I do want to do this. Here's the last part. How do you buy when you have no money? What, what did you say? Credit. Credit. There's a story, there's a story, sorry about that. There's a story about the, mer- the man who found a field. You find it right there in that passage in Matthew 13. And when he finds a field, he finds that there's this massive treasure in the field. He sees that it's so valuable, he hides the treasure again so nobody else finds it. And he goes home and he sells everything that he has to purchase the field. Now let me ask you. The person who received the payment for that field, do you think he got fair value for that field? No, he didn't get fair value for that field. Not at all, because what, what he thought, what he saw in his mind when he went and hid that treasure, he said, it's worth more than everything that I have. Let me go sell everything that I have and purchase this field. You know how you buy something when you have no money? Sell everything you have. There's a, there's a nice little picture on, uh, on Facebook. It's a picture of a little girl, and she has a little teddy bear in her hand. You, you guys seen that picture? Yeah. She has a little teddy bear in her hand, and then Jesus is standing there asking for the teddy bear. But behind his back, he has a ma- I mean, the teddy bear is bigger than Jesus himself. And he's uh, holding that, that teddy bear behind his back, and he's asking the little girl for the teddy bear. The little girl doesn't want to give up the teddy bear. Some way in her mind, she perceives that that which is being offered by the Most High is not as valuable as what she has in her hand. I wonder. The Most High is asking for your anger problem today. You're telling me that you, it's just the way I am. I grew up with this. I've been like this for 40 years. The Father has something special for you behind his back. He, he wants to give you patience. You see, you have a deficit. You have an eating problem. The father's standing there with his hands outstretched. Please, let me have your, let me have your appetite. And you're like, no, I, I, I really do love chocolate cake. I'm really not going to give this up for anybody. 
And the father has the carrot cake behind his back. I think you get the idea. So I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to think. What is it that you have in your hand that he's asking for that you have been refusing to give to him? How long has he been asking for it? And how long have you been refusing How long would you stay in debt when you could be free? Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. In this moment in time, I just want you to talk to the Father. I want you to, yourself, without me trying to pinpoint what it is, The Holy Spirit has already told you what it is. And tonight, I want you to pray a prayer similar to this. Father, take my heart, for I cannot give it. Keep it, for I cannot keep it for thee. Save me from myself, my weak, unchristlike self. And raise me into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich currents of your love truly may flow through my soul. Father in heaven, we as your people are indebted. There's no way that we can pay the price of sin And there are some of us that have financial issues that are way beyond our ability to solve. So we come to you, Father, confessing our weakness and our frailty and our ignorance. And we await your instruction. Father, I ask that you bless the hearts of these dear saints. Is there anyone in this room who, who has not before, but today you have heard the voice of Jesus speak to your heart, and today you want to give him permission to take your heart? You haven't done it before, but today you want to do it for the first time. If that's you, just raise your hand where you are. Is there anyone like this? Is there anyone like this in this room today? I see one, praise God. Is there another? Amen, I see two. I see three. Is there another? I see four. I see five, six. Father, you see the hands that are raised. You see the timid hearts of those who want to raise their hands but have not raised them. Father, right now, I just ask that your Holy Spirit pour fresh on each one, Lord. 
please. My second appeal, if you've heard the voice of God today and you just want to recommit, you want to reconsecrate yourself to him, if that's your desire, just please stand where you are. If that's your desire, just stand where you are. We're going to sing a prayer. And if you know the prayer, just sing it with me. It goes, into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, come in today, come in to stay come into my heart Lord Jesus shine out of my heart shine out of my heart shine out of my heart shine out of my Oh, Lord Jesus, shine out today, shine out always, shine out of my heart, Lord Father, you've heard our prayer. Thank you for being here. Your word says where two or three are gathered in your name, you are in the midst, and we claim that promise. And the word says where two or three touch and agree, it will be done. And Father, we thank you for taking our hearts and making them yours. And thank you for freedom that we have in Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name, and we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen.